Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about transfer DRG revenue recovery, which, as I'm sure many of you know, is something that we specialize in at Bessler. And in particular, we're going to be focusing on the importance of clinical reviews. You know, a lot of hospitals have their own in-house recovery processes, or they contract with one or more vendors to recover transfer DRG revenue. But of course, no two processes are the same. And uh, at, at Bessler, we really focus on compliance and on uh, clinical reviews, uh, and, and we're going to get into into why we do that. And to help me understand uh, why we do that and, and share and lend her expertise uh, to all of us in the audience, I'm joined by Mary Devine, who is the Director of Revenue Cycle Services here at Bessler. Mary, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be back. So, Mary, for those in our audience who may not be familiar with uh, transfer DRGs, could you give us a brief synopsis of the post-acute transfer rule? Sure. So the post-acute transfer rule was put in place in the 90s while providers were focused on shortening the length of stay. You, know, you get the DRG, and um, regardless of the length of stay, so providers were really focused on getting the uh, patients out the door faster. And what was happening is um, there were certain scenarios and certain cases where the patients were being discharged um, way below the geometric mean length of stay, and then the patient was going off to receive some sort of post-acute care, whether it be um, SNF or home care or what have you. And then so Medicare said, well, you know, I'm paying for um, the rehab on the knee replacement for the three days they should have been in the hospital, and I'm paying for additional rehab again once they transfer to either the skilled nursing or the inpatient rehab. So Medicare said, you know what, I don't want to pay for the care twice. So um, for these certain DRGs, uh, if the patient is discharged below the geometric mean length of stay and the, the discharge status code indicates post-acute care, the provider is going to receive a per diem payment. And so that was originally at 10 DRGs when it first came out, and now it's um, at 280 DRGs. So it has significantly expanded um, over the lifetime of the transfer uh, rule. And Mary, you just mentioned uh, the post-discharge status code. Why is that so important as it relates to the rule? So what the post what the discharge status code indicates that indicates the care that the patient is re receiving post discharge um and medicare will only really look at whether the discharge status code on the claim does not indicate a transfer then they're going to come back and reject your claim so it really lets medicare know what is intended for that patient post discharge Mary, what are the types of post-discharge care affected by the rule? The post-acute care that is impacted and affected by the rule would include acute care, and that would be coded a discharge status code of an O2, skilled nursing care, which would be coded a discharge status code of an O3, home care, which is a discharge status code of O6, 
hospice as of 10-1-18, and that's either 50 or 51 for a code. Uh, inpatient rehab, long-term acute, um, and then finally, uh, psychiatric care is also impacted by the rule, and that's a discharge status code of 65. And who's responsible for getting the discharge status code correct? You know, ultimately, Medicare is very clear that it's the provider who's responsible to get the discharge status code correct. You know, and again, Medicare has always been clear on that. Um, and if it isn't correct, unfortunately, there's one of two things. Either your claim's going to reject, um, in the example of coding something, a discharge status code of an 01 indicating the patient went home, but in fact, that patient ended up receiving home care. That claim would reject with a C7272 indicating an overlap, and you would have to correct that claim, um, indicate the 06, and receive the, the per diem potentially if it was below the geometric mean length of stay. Or, um, potentially what's going to happen is if it's not, if you coded it an 01, or I'm sorry, if you coded an 06 and the patient did not receive the home care, um, then you're going to receive the per diem inappropriately when the patient didn't receive home care. So it's really on the provider to get it correct. And again, if if there is post-acute care provider and Medicare knows it, you will get a rejection, but they will never, ever, ever come back and tell you that, oh, the patient did not receive that post-acute care. Here's your full uh, DRG. But as it relates to with the responsibility within the hospital, it really should be a collaboration. You know, the physician should get it right in the discharge summary on where that patient's going with a little bit of detail wrapped around it. Um, utilization management or case management should include in their notes the needs of the patient at the time of discharge and where that patient is, is heading to, whether it be home or home with services um, or whatever the case may be, with, again, with enough documentation that at the point where HIM is involved and coding is involved, Cody can get it right based on the information in the chart. Got it. And Mary, at the top of the podcast, uh, we talked about um, retrospective reviews for transfer DRG recovery and ensuring accurate reimbursement and compliance, and the idea that not all reviews are created the same, essentially. In your opinion, what do many reviews lack? You know, the number one thing that many of the uh, retro reviews lack is the clinical review piece, um, and then they purely rely on the common working file, and, and definitely that's the piece that is missing and puts um, the recommendation of a discharge status code um, at risk for being non-compliant. So the common working file, um, you know, something that every hospital and, and anyone who works with claims is used to, used to working with, why is that insufficient by itself to determine the level of post-acute care provided? The common working file is insufficient for several reasons and leaves significant room for error. The lack of a claim in the common working file or um, the actual presence of a claim in the common working file really does not dictate the appropriate discharge status code that's on the claim. And I'll, and I'll give some examples with that. So in the example of a discharge status code of an O3, um, there are many re um, reviews that are done where they will rely on 
the utilization in the common working file to determine whether the patient received skilled care or not. So when you look at the span of care that includes the inpatient stay, if by chance they do not see a claim post the inpatient discharge, they might say, oh, the patient did not receive skilled care. Let's code it an 04 or an 01 because the patient did not receive the skilled care. Um, unfortunately, most, per, most skilled nursing facilities do not submit a zero pay claim if the care, the skilled care is not covered by Medicare. So if there isn't that qualifying stay or if benefits exhaust and Medicare is not going to pay for the skilled care provided, then there would not be that presence there. And potentially the patient did receive skilled care. So again, you know, in that scenario, you would never, ever, ever want to rely solely on the common working file. Um, and in the example of a patient that has a, uh, a discharge status code of an 06 indicated on their claim, and when you look at the common working file and you look in HIQA, you see that the patient did in fact receive um, home care and that they were in a, span, a home care span uh, prior to being admitted to the hospital. But without a clinical review on that and, and reaching out to the post-acute care provider, you can't tell whether that care was related or not or whether if it started with it post three days of discharge to determine whether you should appropriately append a condition code of 42 or 43 and receive that full DRG. In, in that scenario. So again, you know, whether there's a claim or utilization within the common working file, that does not dictate the discharge status code and should never dictate the discharge status code. Mary, what would you say um, providers uh, should be either be doing on their own or asking of their vendors when it comes to ensuring their transfer DRG reviews are completed accurately and in a compliant manner? Um, Providers should, if they're using a vendor, providers should always ask their uh, vendor if they have clinical resources that work on the reviews and um, are they placing calls out to the post-acute care providers. You know, they should ask what are their steps they take to validate the appropriateness of a discharge status code. Um, and if it's something that um, providers are doing internally, it should be the same. They should be utilizing. Um, clinical resources to review the case management notes, to review the physician notes, um, and all of this is to determine the needs of the patient post-discharge and then, you know, reaching out and speaking to that post-acute care provider to determine the type of care that patient received, um, you know, and you need, and that's just not isolated to calling the skilled nursing facility, but you should call home health agencies. And if the patient is intending to be transferred to an acute care facility, speak to that post-acute care, um, you know, acute care facility and determine was the patient um, admitted or not. And if they were, you know, did you bill Medicare, so on and so forth. Make sure you're asking the appropriate questions prior to recommending a discharge status change. And again, if you do not take those necessary steps from a clinical review perspective, your discharge status is um, at risk for being noncompliant. Yeah, and, and no hospital wants to be there. Um, as I mentioned again at the top of the podcast, transfer DRG revenue recovery is something that we specialize in here at Bessler. And if you'd like to learn more about how we do it, 
You can go to Bessler.com and just click on the services tab at the top and you'll see transfer DRG revenue recovery there and, and you can uh, read all about it, look at some articles, uh, check out a video that we have there and, and understand more about what a complete and compliant process looks like. Mary, thanks again for shedding some light on this topic and helping us understand more about compliant transfer DRG revenue recovery. Great. Thanks for having me. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.